0: So we pray that, that she has a wonderful, wonderful trip and, and certainly um, safe travels. Another thing I didn't mention, it's kind of a joy, it's a celebration. Um, we had a milestone yesterday um, in, the, in the life of um, my wife, Tony, And that is, as of yesterday, she is now old enough to be the mother of a 20-year-old. So, um, I know, hard for me to believe too. So... Um, we, uh, we celebrate what well, we celebrated via Skype yesterday, Ryan's um, 20th birthday. And so I'm giving her a hard time because I like to live dangerously. <laughs> um, speaking of, of young people, one of the things that is um, going on uh, this morning, especially in, the, in the, the later services, is that much of our, our worship Uh, is being youth-led this morning. A youth band is going to be playing at the next two services, and and we've got um, kids um, participating. And it's not that we ever intend to leave you all out of those experiences, but they don't get up at 8.15 for church. Um, And we'll get to a few that that have this morning in just a moment. But um, in one of the the songs that the youth band is going to be leading uh, in the next two services, there's a little video piece that John... Uh, has incorporated, and he did some interviews um, with some of the kids as we've talked with them about this capital campaign, and, and we have been very intentional about having some conversation with our young people in these events. and And uh, Ethel had done a, uh, a breakfast with the kids that I was a part of a, a month ago, and we've gone in and sat with the youth group because we want them to know this is their church too. This is not. Uh, you know, they're, they're as much a part of this as, as any of us are. So John went and took the video camera and, um, and just asked some, asked some of the youth some questions about the church and, and what's, what's happening and got some of their input. And we wanted you to see that. It doesn't fit in the context of the song, but it's just a really short clip. And um, just wanted you to see some of the responses and some of the, the um, insights some of the kids have. So, so Ray, if you'll just kind of cue that up. I think that the most important reason why we need a new building is in order to have more space in the sanctuary, that way we can have more people hear the word of God on a regular basis. We need some more space. We're getting more and more people. We need more room to worship, we need more room for a gathering place. I hope it looks nice like it does right now. I hope it looks the same because I don't really want anything to really change. It's, it's pretty great here. It's just gonna be the same old church at heart and it's really never gonna change. The outside might change, though. Jumping fun place. Chick-fil-A all the way. Probably an arcade room or something. No more having (laughs) instructors. I mean, I think a Starbucks would be awesome, but my dad kinda was like, no on that. Yay! (laughs) I believe! I believe. I believe! I believe! I believe! believe. Olivia Deloach, I believe in Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, if you don't know, the redhead who wanted the Starbucks belongs to me. and she kind of said, and I know the youth talk a little faster, that her dad nixed that idea, which is true, he did. So um, anyway, we did that and started to think about having a little fun this morning with some of the other kids that that would be here. And so I'm doing something in all the services that um, is incredibly dangerous. And that is, in all the services, I'm going to invite some kids up, and we're just going to have a little conversation for a couple minutes. And as as I said, we weren't sure really what to expect at 8.15, but uh, Lizzie and Emma are here, and they've come early, and they wanted to come up and have some conversation, so Lizzie and Emma, come on up. Come on up here with me. (laughs) Now, to be fair, they don't even know what I'm going to ask them, let alone, we haven't rehearsed this. This is not programmed in, so come on up, girls, let's do this. Why don't we sit down? Let's just sit down, the three of us. I'm not going to get up again, so. (laughs) Uh, uh, Okay. This is Lizzie and Emma, right? Okay, Lizzie, how old are you? 11. You're 11. What grade are you in? Fifth. She's in fifth grade. Emma, are you 11 too? How old are you? You're 10. What grade are you in? Which school do you guys go to? Freedom. Okay, you guys in the same class? No. Okay, all right. So here's. Here's my question. I'm going to spread out this way. Here's my question for you. When we talk about the church, what do you think the church means? What, is it, what does it mean when we say the church? What are we talking about? Us. You're us. Who's us? The church. Um, okay, but when you say us, who, who do you mean? All of us. All of us? Like all these people out here? Yeah. Okay, everybody that we see. All right, you come, when you come to church... And you come here. What is the, your favorite thing? What's the thing you like the most about coming to church? The snacks. The snacks. <laughs> that's Hey, that's okay. That's all right. The snacks are pretty good. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you the one thing. that And, and, and Lizzie hit on this because this has come up a number of times when we've, when we've met with. And you know, it's not just the kids. Some of you adults have asked the same question. Has been this. If we go and we, we build a new building and we have a new gathering place, are we still going to have the snacks? That's like the major concern. So you, you've just voiced what half of them are thinking too. So what about you, Emma? What do you think? What's the most fun thing? The food. The food. The food. So it's a slam dunk. Okay. Um, not the pastor, really? So I'm kidding with you. Okay. Okay. Now here's a question. If you, if you were in charge, if you were the boss of this whole thing, and you could have any one thing in a new building, what would you want it to have? More food. More food. OK. <laughs> what would you want? Anything? Anything you wanted. We had Chick-fil-A. We had a Starbucks requested. We had a Jump and Fun requested. I would agree with the Starbucks. You want the Starbucks. Really? You're already in the Starbucks at this age? Oh boy. It's gonna get tough. Starbucks gift cards are great presents, aren't they? All right. You see all these smiling faces out here and you guys have come early, which we really appreciate because I know it's early for you. What's like one thing? Is there any one thing you'd want all these people to know? I know that's kinda of tough, isn't it? I'm kinda of, I'm kinda of asking you some some tough some tough questions. But as as we we get ready, do you, are you excited about what we're doing? You think a new building would be pretty cool? You think we need some more room for people like this out here? You think if we start like a 7 a.m. service, you guys can get up and come? No, I don't blame you either. I'm not doing a 7 a.m. service either. So righty, Girls, thank you for coming up here and sharing with me. I appreciate that. And that is hard, you know, to come up. And they had no idea what I was going to ask. And the truth is, I didn't either. So um, we wanted to just kind of have fun. And I appreciate, girls, you guys kind of let me have a, have, a, have, a, have, a, have a moment with you. wanted to start like this and, and with this because I want us to be very mindful this morning as we move into this third sermon, Rooted in Growing, that I heard somebody speaking recently, and they were talking about the challenge of faith generationally. And they broke it into three generations, we could understand it maybe as three steps of faith from a generational understanding. And that is, they describe first-generation faith. First-generation faith is described or, or understood as, as a real passion for faith. A, a real a fire, if you will. Um, a courage to live out the faith and, and to express it through the, the ways that, that God is leading to, to do bold and new things. To proclaim and to live out the, the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's 1st that's um, generation faith. Think about the story, if, you, if you're familiar with the New Testament, Acts. Acts is stories of first generation faith, men and women that live boldly and courageously, um, their faith. Second generation faith is often the faith that gets handed down. And, and sometimes it becomes more character, characterized by a preservation of faith, an idea to preserve what's been handed down. And so, so that becomes kind of the mindset. And then what happens sometimes in third generation, at that third step, is, is you have people, young people often, that are raised, and what they've seen in their, their, their parents or their grandparents or their elders is a preservation of faith. And they're not interested in that. The, the, the passion gets lost, the fire gets lost, and very often by the third generation, faith gets lost. And so it becomes this progression from passion to preservation to pass, to, to not interested. And so as I'm hearing that, and as I'm kind of just reflecting on, and it's much more detailed than I just shared, it, it becomes very, very clear that, that for the church, for us as, as disciples of Christ, in our own lives and especially in the lives of, of those who come behind us, the, the, the generations behind us, we have got to be very intentional about a desire and a a hunger to create and to be instruments to birth a first-generation faith. Because you can have first-generation faith in somebody that's got generation after generation of of Christians in their family. You know what I'm saying? First-generation faith is characterized by a passion and a a courage and and a desire to live into the call of Christ. It's not described, it's not designed to be understood simply in the line of a lineage, But but to have a passion. How do we begin to birth this passion? And why is that so important for us as as the church and as disciples of Jesus Christ? And so I want to turn this morning to a few verses in the 112th chapter of Psalms. In this book of prayer. In this book of, of music, if you will. This is what the psalmist writes. He says, Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in His commands. And here's here's the key verse this morning. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in dark light dawns the upright for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us the conviction of your word, the the challenge of your word, the the call of your word. Um, Place that upon our lives. And just move us into faithfulness and obedience. This is our prayer. And we pray it in Christ Jesus. Amen. Verse 2. Their children will be mighty in the land. That, that's the verse that really got my attention. In fact, some of the, the translations are their children will be successful everywhere. That, that was one of the other, because when I read, and, and as I study, I like to read different translations of the Bible, and the, their children will be successful everywhere, and I thought, what a, what a powerful hope for, for our kids, for, for our grandkids, for, for the generations that come behind us who, who would not look at Lizzie and Emma this morning, and say, We want these young people to be successful in everything they do. I mean, who doesn't want our, our kids to be successful in everything they do and, and those that we're in, those that we care about? And so I started to think about that, to be successful. Well, what does that mean? It'd be interesting if I said, what does it mean to be successful? How do we begin to, to describe and understand that? And one of the phrases that I've heard over and over again that, that popped into my head was, was, well, we want our kids to be well-rounded, educated, and happy right? Well-rounded, educated, and happy. I don't know if that resonates with you, but but at first I thought, yeah, that's that's good. I like that. Well-rounded, educated, and happy. Until I started to think about it. Well-rounded, educated, and happy. Well, let's think about well-rounded for a minute. So what does it mean to be well-rounded? Well, let me tell you what definition that I I read somebody said. To be well-rounded is to be average in everything. (laughs) Think about it. To be well-rounded is to be average in everything. Now, that's not to say that we want our kids not to be exposed to a lot of different ideas and, and, and insights, but, but to be well-rounded. How many of us are really all that well-rounded? I am not well-rounded. Inside. Um, <laughs> I just got there before any of you did. Um Meaning, meaning this, most of us are good, really good at one or two things. We are. I mean, we're good at one or two things, but there's probably a lot of things we're not necessarily very, very good at. Uh, you know, some of the, the folks in our church, some of you, and I see Diana, that are, that are artistic, that paint. You have that gift. I'm not good at that. I, I can do stick figures barely, you know. Um, I, I, I'm not, you know, we joke about it, but I'm not... I'm not Vocal. I'm not very gifted musically. Yeah, you know, I'm not well-rounded. I have a few things that God has gifted me for, that, and I can enjoy other things. But it doesn't mean I'm good at them. I, I, one of the most liberating things I ever had a, a leader say to me years ago was said, "Stop working on your weaknesses." Said, "Stop working on your weaknesses." Because he said, if you get twice as good at something you're not good at, you're still just average at it. (laughs) Right? He said, work, operate out of your strengths, and then find others who can step into the places that aren't yours. But do what God created you to do. You know, when we hired, I was thinking about this years ago, when we hired John uh, Godfrey on staff, we didn't look for somebody who was well rounded. John's incredibly talented in a lot of different ways, but we weren't interested in well rounded. We were interested in, are you good at the things we need to hire you to do? And, and he is, incredibly. So, so well-rounded, I, I don't know that that, that speaks. And, and educated, educated is important. Education is, education is important. <laughs> but you can get a perfect SAT score. But if you're devoid of integrity, moral um, conviction, kindness, gratitude, appreciation. If all of these things are missing, that education doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. So education is important, but is that the ultimate goal? And then happiness. And this is a sermon unto itself, but I've talked about that before. You know, God never calls us to happiness. God calls us to holiness. First Peter, be holy as I am holy. We are called to a a Passionate to kind of circle back into a to a, a faith and an obedience and a, and a hunger for a relationship with God, that when we live into this, that, a byproduct of that becomes happiness. Pursuit of faithfulness, pursue faithfulness, and we will find happiness. Uh, and, and that's it. So, so for me, all of those things, while having merit on their own, were not what I, what I started to think of should, should characterize our strong desire for the generations that come after us. And that may be our young people. That may be the generations of adults that will come to faith. This doesn't just have to be age defined. It is those who will come to faith as a result of the investment of serving Jesus that, that we make our willingness to share that. So, so it can be across all ages, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking of it and I'm framing it in terms of our, of our children. So what, what my hunger is for my children, my 20-year-old and my 17-year-old, um, is that in their lives there is a passion for Jesus. That in their lives that there is a desire that they will impact the world for Christ. That's what will define what success looks like. That's what David says, or or the psalmist says, they will be mighty, they will be successful in everything they do, because they make a difference. I think what I want, and what I pray for my children, is that they become described the way the early Christians in Acts 17 are described. In Acts 17, first generation Christians, Christians that knew what it was like to be courageous for faith, Christians who knew what it was like to sell out for Jesus. And Paul and Silas are on those missionary journeys. And they come to a a city called Thessalonica, where we get Thessalonians. Paul's letters written to the Thessalonians. They're in Thessalonica. And the city officials, as often happens to Paul, they're not happy he's there. And they want to run him out of town and they want to persecute him. So so they become aware that they're coming for Paul and Silas. So that the Christians there, the followers of Jesus in Thessalonica, they sneak Paul and Silas out. And so the city officials come and they get the next best thing. They get those who had hosted them. Those who had welcomed them into the city. And they drag them in front of the judges. And this is how they describe them. They said, these are the men and women. These are the people that are turning the world upside down. That is my favorite description of the early church in Acts 17 verse 6. These are the people that are turning the world upside down. And I think that's man that's that's what I pray. The legacy that I can leave in the lives of not just my kids, but our kids is that there'll be a generation that will turn the world upside down. How many of things need the world need to be flipped around a little bit. You know? Yeah, right? The world needs to be flipped around just a little bit. And that's part of our call. And you may be thinking, well, gosh, I don't don't have kids at this church. and, And I don't have grandkids at this church. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Every child that is baptized is our child. Every kid is our kid. Because that's what it means to be the church. You may not take them home and have to feed them. But you are absolutely called to shape them. And so what do, why does this matter? Why is this so important? Why, why do we, we seek to, to create facilities that can, that can be instruments of, of, of a place where the body of Christ can gather and can serve and can live out the call of Jesus? Well, here's what we know. That, that people, young people and people in general they become what they are exposed to. You and I become what we are exposed to. Young people, especially in an impressionable age, become what they are exposed to. And and Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And our hunger, our passion, is to expose the generation that's coming behind us to Christ, to the light of Christ, so that they will have that opportunity to, to, to become like Christ because we know that they get exposed to enough junk in this world. We get exposed to enough junk in this world, and we become what we're exposed to. I, I think I've told this story before, but um, you know, parents worry about the kind of company their kids keep, and that's understandable with that. I, when I was a kid growing up in Jacksonville, hanging around neighborhood kids, and I was just a little guy, um, I learned some words from the neighborhood kids that they used frequently. I didn't know what those words meant, but they spoke them. So it must be okay, right? And they told me it was okay. So one Sunday morning, as people are coming to church, and I'm in the backyard at the parsonage, with my father being the pastor, and the parsonage was right next to the church. Many of you remember those days when the church parsons are right there. And I'm in the backyard because we were going to service a little later. And so people are parking in the church parking lot and they're walking by the backyard and I'm in the backyard playing and I'm using the words that no church person expects to hear from the pastor's kid on the way to church. (laughs) And boy, did they delight in going to tell my father what what his son was saying. Now, I didn't get in trouble for that. I mean, I got a little bit of an education on learning not to speak when you didn't know what you were saying. But dad was gracious about that but it was also this awareness of how I was being imprinted by what I was being exposed to and so they there's some course correction that needed to take place so that didn't become a habit and it did not become a habit Um, dad would not have tolerated that the next time we had that conversation wouldn't have been as pleasant but but the point is you get it is that we we become What we are exposed to, Proverbs says that if you walk with the wise, you become what? Wise. You become wise. And so how do we create uh, an environment, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-filled, in which all people, but especially these generations that are coming after us, will be exposed to the light of Christ? Why does that matter? Why is that so important to us? And there's a couple things I want to say this morning. One is that we want to expose our young people. We want to expose our young people to the power of knowing God personally, to the importance, to the conviction of knowing God personally, to a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because in John Chapter 17, the Gospel of John. Jesus says this. He said, this is eternal life. This is eternal life to know God and to know me. And he says to know Jesus Christ. But, but to know God and to know me. And it is an invitation to a relationship. We want, to, we, want to, we want our young people and all of us to be exposed to a place where we are challenged and invited to know God in a personal and a powerful and a meaningful way. And that is, speaks to our relationship. It speaks to the power of prayer, which is conversation with God. You have conversation with people who you are in a relationship with. You talk to people you're in a relationship with. It may be casual. It may be um, deep family, deep friendship. But, but what we invite people into is not a, a relationship built or, or not a faith built on rules. It, it's not. Our faith is not built on the do's and don'ts. Our faith is built on the relationship we have with Jesus Christ that begins to shape the do's and don'ts. Now, now hear me say, I'm not saying that the behavior and the things that we do and don't do doesn't matter. It does. But, but our faith isn't defined by, well, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. Our faith is defined in Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, relationship. How do I honor that relationship? It's the same way a healthy marriage is built. I, I don't honor my wife, Tony because, or I don't seek to honor her and respect her and love her because it's a list of do's and don'ts. I do because that relationship means something to me. She means something to me. And so I want to honor her by the way that I live and the way that I treat her and the respect I show her and the, the faithfulness I give her. I'm not perfect in all of those things all of the time. Um, I am in faithfulness. Let's get that out of the way. But uh, <laughs> lest any rumors start because of my sermon. Um, but but I, I, I don't always treat her the way that she deserves to be treated. But the relationship isn't built because I'm trying to check off the of boxes. But because of the relationship, that's what we invite people into. We want to invite young people to have their lives changed by a deep and powerful and profound relationship with Christ. Here's the second thing: we invite people to, to experience the power and the presence of God in the church. We invite people, and this is why this that this is a place that, that we can come and we can experience God's presence through. What God does in the lives of a community of people that are joined together. Your lives and our lives together become a witness to what God does through people who passionately know Him. Our lives become a witness to what God does to people who passionately know Him and, and we experience God and our young people experience God in the relationships that they make here as we get to, to experience God's presence together. You know, there's one non-negotiable in our house. As my kids were growing up, I've, I've always been very, very protective of Ryan and Cassidy as preacher's kids. Because my father was very protective of, of me and my brothers. And that is, um, they didn't have to do stuff just because they were the preacher's kids. They didn't have to come to everything that happened here in the church. They weren't required to volunteer for everything that needed. And if somebody ever came to me and said, hey, could Ryan or Cassidy do X, Y, or Z? my response always very respectfully is maybe you need to ask Ryan or Cassie if they're able to do X, Y, or Z. You know, because, because I wanted church to be a, a place that they wanted to be, not a place that they had to be. The, what's the non-negotiable? Well, just like my kids didn't have a choice as to whether or not they, got to go, they had to go to school or, or that they had to, you know, if they made commitments they needed to fulfill them, worship was a, was a non-negotiable. When, when they're home, when we're home, we worship together. Well, we don't get to worship together too much, but we're all here at some point. And when we go on vacations, a lot of times we'll find churches and worship together because that is one time that we get to sit four wide in a, in a congregation and worship together. That is non-negotiable. Why? Because I believe in two tr- very true things. One, this is a place, most importantly, that we honor God by giving him his worship. But here they get to see what God does to the people and through the lives, and their lives get impacted by your lives. You have helped raise my kids. You have absolutely helped raise my kids. And if I can take a moment of personal privilege to say thank you for that, because you've impacted them. One of the most profound moments, when I realized this, it happened six, seven years ago. There was a a member of the church, many of you know her, um, and she lived in Colony Cove with a lot of you, but Peggy Harbour. Some of you remember Peggy Peggy was very faithful. Served the church. Loved Peggy. Southern, um, southern woman. You know, had the the accent. She was a north. She was a Tar Heel. Uh, so she and I just went back and forth, being a Duke Blue Devil. We just kind of went at each other. And she would very often greet right here. And we spent time a lot of time with Peggy. And a couple years after I'd been here, um, Peggy and her husband Bill decided they needed to move to Tennessee to be with family, which, which happens, and we've, we've talked about that. And um, I will remember the day that I went and told Cassie, that we told our daughter, now she was maybe 10 at the time, we said, Cassie, Miss Peggy's moving. Cassie wept. She cried. Now why? Why would a 10-year-old be invested in what a, a, a woman that was 60 years her senior was doing? Because Peggy had touched her life. Peggy meant something to her. Peggy had been a witness in her life just by the way that she loved her and had embraced her. And I thought, this is what the church is. This isn't a neighborhood kid that's moving away. This is somebody much older. But it it mattered to her. And she'd been shaped in the environment of knowing people who loved Jesus and loved her. And, And I'll tell you, one of my greatest joys as a parent is that today, as we're worshiping here, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, my son is on stage with a praise band at a United Methodist Church helping lead worship. That's not just because of his mom and dad. We're certainly a part of that. But that's the body of Christ. It's passionate faith. Passionate, first-generation faith. What we're doing This whole thing rooted and growing. What the generations before us have done. Yeah, it will bless us. We're asking you to be involved in something you will enjoy the fruits of. I have no doubt. But it isn't first and foremost for us. Because anytime our faith becomes about us, we've lost faith. (laughs) It's not what it is. And it's a country club. We're not looking for a country club. We're looking for a place that people can experience the profound personal relationship with Jesus Christ and can be touched by a community that's engaged in worship together. And so we invite all ages into that. We invite our young people into that. But we invite our middle-aged people and our older people, wherever you think you are on that continuum, into that. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to be exposed to the light. I pray that generations to come, we'll be thankful, we'll be changed because of what we've done here and the difference that we've made. That is my prayer, and I pray that's your prayer as well. And with that, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the impact that you've made in our lives and the impact we can make on the lives of others. Lord, bless the generations that are yet to come. Bless our kids. Our, bless our youth. Bless those who will come after us, birth in them a first-generation faith and a passion for Jesus. This is our prayer. We ask it in your holy name. Amen and amen.